cliffcentral.com. Good day and welcome to Disrupt with Mbomin Tlapo on Cliff Central, brought to you by T-Systems. Today I'm joined by a man who calls himself a strong team motivator and a coach, Werner Lindemann. Welcome, Werner. How are you? Bumi, thanks very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us today. Um, and thank you to our sponsors, T-Systems, once again, for making this platform possible. It really is great to have the opportunity to talk about disruption. And I think the media space in particular is an area that's really experienced a lot of disruption, Werner. I mean, uh, what have you seen? Um, I, I think... I think what's quite interesting is that the media industry is not so different than if you go and talk about banking, telecommunications, retail. Um, everything is getting disrupted today by changes in technology. Yes. So technology for me is the big disruptor. It changes how industries uh, engage with consumers. It changes how industries drive different revenue models. It changes how industries are actually disrupting other industries' boundaries. Absolutely. And and for me, the interesting thing about the media industry is that um, if you go if you go back, media is probably the one area that's both in the B two B in the B two C space. Absolutely, because it engages with big brands. That said, it engages with the consumer journey on the other side at the same time. At the same time, now um, what what. What uh, what the media industry has ahead of any other industry is that it had to play both these roles in the past. So it had to embrace technology that's been disrupting um, uh, that's been disrupting other big businesses like banking and telecommunication, and apply that in terms of um, allowing brands to engage with consumers over the media platforms. Mm. And and this whole disruption in the African market with mobile technology, with the advent of broadband, has actually um, created new avenues for the media industry. And I mean, Cliff Central is a great example of that. Yes. In terms of how the media industry connects consumers uh, like-minded consumers with brands um, that what that would like to engage or to advertise to them. Werner, I'm looking at your CV. You've been uh, selling solutions in the industry for over 20 years. Um, we were talking earlier. You you hail from Bloemfontein, <laughs> but living in Johannesburg uh, since 1991. You said, mm. and um, I hear. I mean, you've worked in the IT industry. You've been in the media space for quite some time. Uh, so quite a diverse background that you come from. You're currently yes. serving as the MD of MediaMark, which is the media sales yes. agency. Prior to that, um, you were the commercial manager or director at Gahiso Media. Yes. Um, can you just talk a little bit about your background um, from a technology and a media space, and how did you get to where you are today? Before we get into tackling, you know, the subject around around media and disruption. Yes. So I actually have got a. I'm an industrial engineer by training. So. Uh, and it was totally by accident that I got into the IT industry. Um, IBM acquired uh, PwC Consulting in the early 2000s globally. Okay. Uh, and that's how I got involved in, in IBM. Now, the one thing that I think the IT industry has actually helped me with, you remember I've just talked about this disruption, how technology is disrupting industries. Absolutely. There was no disrespect to people that's been in the industry for 20, 30 years in the media industry. I think the the jump for me from – from IT to media has been made easier by this this disruption in the industry yes. because I understand how 
um, tech is disrupting industries. If you talk about banks are becoming telcos now, uh, F&B has started with their own MVNO. Uh, telcos are becoming insurers. Yes. I mean, uh, Vodacom is, is providing insurance packages, in, unbelievably innovative insurance packages to their customers. You can now buy insurance for a day. So if you decide you want to go and skydive, you buy insurance for a day from, Vodacom, from, from Vodacom. Fantastic. And that is how tech is disrupting industry. So this shift for me to media with um, 10, 12 years of IT background and how I've seen how tech is disrupting industry has actually helped me in making the step change to the media industry because I understand how tech is starting to change industries. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and the traditional media is the traditional media. So it's been easy for me to understand this transition that media industry is is uh, is busy making, and that's probably why they the shareholders have decided to ask me to to run MediaMark. To run MediaMark, yeah. it, it's a big challenge. I want to read a couple of things to you here. So, the World Economic Forum reports that Facebook is about to hit two billion users. Mm. Right? Um, it says that Facebook is fast approaching the point at which it will be used regularly by a third of the planet. Um, so that's about two billion people. And in the, these are the results from the first quarter and that it had 1.94 billion users, 17% more than in the previous year. It also talks about, um, the time and to say that the growth in the world population is having a material impact on the yes. performance of Facebook, which is why we see them really aggressively trying to grow connectivity. Yes. Because it'll increase the reach for their platform. Um, and we look at it in 2005. Facebook had uh, 6 million users that were active. So yes. in roughly 10 years, they've um, grown from 6 million users and to a third of the global population. Yes. That obviously creates a lot of pressure for traditional media. Yes. And not just uh, radio, not just television, not just outdoor, outdoor, but across the board. Can you talk to me, you know, as the MD of Media Bank, in the context of what's happening in your industry and how the likes of the social media giants like Facebook, whether yes. they complement or create competition or a threat for your business? Yes. So maybe if I just take a step back, uh, it comes back to um, the per proliferation of broadband. Um, if you go and look at what's happening in Africa, um, in the last year, Africa for the first time has got more Internet connections than either Western Europe or North America. Africa has got more mobile subscribers. Then, uh, or the third largest mobile subscribe, uh, subscriber base in the world after, uh, Eastern Asia and Southeast Asia. Sure. So, so, so those things are having a massive impact on how people engage with media. Now that's uh, just park that for a second. Okay. The second, uh, the second interesting fact is if you go and look at the South African connected consumer. Okay. So connected consumer, somebody's got access to a smartphone. 60% of South African adults have got access to a smartphone. So put that into context. Okay. The connected consumer in South Africa today um, consumes 50% more content on a daily basis than they did three years ago. 50% more content on a daily basis. So let me, let me, let me break that down. On average, about uh, four hours, four hours of radio, less than three hours of television. If you've got a mobile phone, about uh, three hours of, of content on your mobile phone on a daily basis. Wow. And if you've got access to a laptop, which only 20% of South African adults have, uh, that's another two hours on your laptop in a day. Okay, that's 12 hours of content consumption. When do we work? Um, uh, hopefully in between. <laughs> <laughs> What you must also remember, some of this is multi-screen. 
Okay. So it's okay. multi-screen. So I will sit in front of the television, which I rarely do, but I will have my phone there and I have my laptop. laptop and, uh, okay. Okay. I get so, you. Or people like my perfect wedding on a Sunday night will be on social media while my perfect wedding is on yes. and they'll, and they'll multi-screen it. Okay. Now, now here's the shift that's happening. I, I think, um, Traditional media companies have thought about these new media players, the Googles of the world, the Facebooks of the world, etc., as serious competition. Yes, they are com- competition because they dominate about seventy percent of the of the market in terms of digital media. Okay, but but the, the unsuccessful ones have not been able to leverage this as a funnel to their traditional media environment. So, okay, elaborate on that. So. A radio station, I'll use a radio station as an example. A radio station that's successful have got a full circle of how he engages with the consumer. He's got on-air stuff that the consumer listens to it, either in the car or on his cell phone or on his laptop or whatever. That content, he then replicates an online space. But he replicates it differently because you and I consume content differently when we hear it than when we read it on an online mat. So, Absolutely. So it needs to be optimized in terms of search. It needs to be optimized in terms of the type of words we look for, etc. When a radio presenter talks about it, he says, why don't you go and look at it on my Facebook page? So first thing I go in, go and look at the Facebook page of this, of this uh, segment. Yes. When I click on that, when I click on that article, what must the article do? It must redirect me to the radio station website. Yes. Because then I bring people into my community of why people actually consume my content. So for me as a media player, Facebook is a fantastic funnel to broaden the capability of building this community of trusted consumers that want to engage with you as a brand. Uh, I see what you mean. So, so I, I actually think this is extremely exciting because you can use these new media players to actually bolster your engagement and, and broaden your community of engage, engagement with your, with your media platform, whether it's a digital or a traditional media platform. Okay. Now let's take then a step back to when you were heading up Cajiso Media, obviously running radio stations. Um, the, the, now the, the digital platforms coming yeah. on board, the podcasters coming on board. How has that shifted that space? Mm. Um, so I will, I will use again an example. About two years ago when I was still at Cajisa Media, um, we visited my other shell as a company called Lagardère, the French media company. Okay. We visited their operations in Poland. They've got a, um, a array of radio stations there that's under a banner called Eurozet. And we went to go and see what they did in the digital space because we okay. were quite interested. The Polish, um, they've got about 70% internet penetration in Poland versus South Africa about 53%. So, and they've got lots of broadband in there. So okay. we wanted to learn from them. And I would assume the costs are a lot lower. The costs are much lower. So okay. you will pay for 400 rand in a month, you will have um, uh, t- paid television, cable, so with multiple channels, um, uh, cell phone, uh, um, use as much as you like, plus data use as much as you like for 400 rand. 400 month. bucks. 400 bucks in a month. Okay. Sure. This is what we pay here. 1,000 bucks for a cell phone, yeah. uh, 900 bucks if you still want to do it, et cetera. So, so there's three things that we, that we found out about augmenting a traditional media platform or a digital media platform okay. with what you need to do. The first thing is the tech at the background. So if you're a connected consumer, what's an important thing for you when you open an app? This thing must be instant. Absolutely. Moby site? 
instant. Absolutely. So the back-end tech to get that right and set that up properly and the content management system on top of that is very important. Second thing, user experience. If you use an app today, they say the average, I think uh, I read an article, the average smartphone user have got 27 apps on his phone and he downloads less than three new apps in a year that he consistently use. Because if you download an app, you don't like it, you delete it. Yeah. Okay. So if that experience, that user experience on that app or the Mobi site or the internet site or what you hear or what you see is not great, you're not going to, you're going to have a once off visitor. And, that's, then, that's, and then you're done. That's the thing for us in the media industry. You've, you have one chance to capture the imagination of a consumer because you've got so many options. Third thing, content. So, and this is where I, I'm used the example earlier. If you have content on a traditional platform, if you've got content on a digital platform versus a mobile site with an, versus an app, all those content, that content need to be published exactly for that channel. Okay. Because people consume content different on different channels. Okay. And that's why, that's why, and, and you need to capture the imagination of, of the consumer. How do you do it? There's lots of studies around the world. You capture somebody's imagination when you've got either a picture or video or whatever that they can look at. Um, another study that I read, I can't remember what was the source, says that 60% globally, this is now a global statement. I'm not going to extrapolate this to South Africa. Okay. Globally, more than 60% of all videos, long, shorter than 25 minutes, get watched on a mobile device. So over 50% of, over 60%, 60 of video content that's shorter than 20, 25 minutes yes. get watched on a mobile device. Wow. So that changes the game. It changes the game. So, so in this whole disruption that the media industry needs to drive, if video is not core to your strategy in terms of how you engage with consumers, it doesn't matter whether you're a radio station. Video needs to be core. Uh, I see what you're saying. And it's not about it's not about filming. I see sometimes uh, on these television programs in the morning, they film on one of these channels. They film a radio team in, in the, the studio. In the studio, yes, that's not content. Content is snackable stuff that captures the imagination of the consumer. You will not get a consumer checking a radio um, a radio studio for two hours. No. And, and by the way, I just want to make this statement. Uh, people talk about mobile as the second screen. Mobile is the first screen. Absolutely. I don't see people walking to conferences with a television under their arm. <laughs> this is. The, the mobile phone is the first screen now. On the African continent, um, South Africa... Uh, uh, the latest stats is 78, 79% of all web pages open is done on a mobile phone. West Africa was two weeks, three weeks ago in Ghana. It's more than 80% in, in Ghana and Nigeria. Similar stats in East Africa and, and Kenya and those places. So this is becoming the, the primary screen or the first screen. And we know that, I mean, the stats are even higher for internet usage in terms of the first time yeah. people experience yeah. the internet is, is on a mobile. Exactly. It's, I think it's into the 90s percentages mm. fr- from that perspective. Okay, so Vedna, I mean, you, you've had a broad you know, industry experience, I would guess, yes. from a I mean, IBM is a technology company yes. coming into the media space or coming into the commercial side of yep. media and then now into the sales side of media. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the disruption. Um, 
it's it's a relatively new term, and I mention it every week on the show yeah. to say, but I think disruptive energy has always been there. So in terms of your own experience, I mean, did you feel that disruptive impetus there at the time that you were still within the technology space and then coming now into the media environment? I think the people around me probably think I'm the disruptor. <laughs> Which is why we've got you here. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and if you think about, I'll share with you these, these four pillars that we have built our strat, that we've built our strategy now around. And if you think about those things, it exactly those disruptors. Okay. Okay. First one is mobile. So everybody talks about being a digital first company. A digital first company, um, allow you to come to the party. A mobile first company allow you to sell stuff at the party. So, <laughs> so if you not, if you don't think about how you transform, and this is not just a media industry discussion, but how you transform as mobile first. Okay. You're not going to have a place at the party very soon. Okay. So let, let's, take, let's just dwell on that a little yeah. bit. Um, Mobile first means what? That I build my website to be compatible for mobile first? What does that mean tangibly if I'm running a large retail organization or I'm running a large manufacturing business? What does that look like for me? So, so, so let's talk about a retailer. Mo- mobile first in a retailer means that you need to have like what the willies of this world have done. You need to have a, an app. Where people can go in, they can buy stuff, they can get their smart shopper points on it, they can get all, uh, so we can pay a smart shopper, but they can get the, all, all their rewards on it and do the different things. Okay. It means that mobile first means that you need to be able to provide things like gamification. Okay. To, yeah, we spoke about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You need to be able to do, go do things like gamification or what some people call the um, commerce marketing, um, to, to engage uh, people, um, uh, consumers on a different platform with you. Um, you need to be able to drive loyalty through, through mobile engagement. I don't want to go and look for a coupon or I don't want to go and have yeah. to print out something. Yeah. I want to go to the toll, uh, redeem my sh- smart shopper points or my, or my reward points from my mobile device with a QR code. Absolutely. And, and that's how, or I must be able, if I've got a feature phone, to be able to get an SMS, which I can then and transact based on I, that. I, So it's not, we mustn't get fixated about, about the, 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 the smartphone because it's not just about the smartphone. In Africa, feature phones are still rough. Okay. Uh, and I think that's what, that's what it means. Um, if, if I, that play a role to connect brands with consumers. I need to be able to help a consumer take his campaign beyond the traditional media campaign. So how do we engage a, uh, a consumer by providing them uh, to participate? I provide them with a benefit. Okay. So, so for example, I now, I now can do stuff on behalf of Vodacom because they've signed me up. Okay. Or I've signed them up or somebody, some, yeah. <laughs> somebody else. So I can go, I ran a campaign for, Let's use a retailer again. I ran a campaign for um, for ShopRite. Okay. To participate, I'll give you a benefit to participate. I'm going to give you uh, 100 megs of data for free. If you've got a smartphone, or I'll give you airtime for free, 10 rands or 20 rands of airtime for free if you participate. Okay. So suddenly I've captured your imagination as a consumer because yes. you you want that uh, that benefit. Yes. And I've got you in the game. Okay. Okay. Now, to be able to win stuff, I provide gamification. So gamification, there's a Mobi site that I run. We've got six different gamification plays that we have. Run a Mobi site with some gamification. Or if you have got a feature phone, I run my game with USSD with you. 
Okay. Okay. So I sent you a thing. You you select one of the options, and I sent you a next thing, yeah. and you get the rewards like that. And you engaged. Suddenly, I say to you, "Okay, do you want to go and redeem your voucher or whatever? Come to the store." Suddenly, I've got a consumer. I've got feet into the store. Shoprite wants me to get feet in the store. And they have used mobile together with traditional media as the loud hailer to, to get, cause I, cause I still use radio to entice the consumer to participate through, through games and through rewards. And I've got them feet in the store. Ah, I see. And that's where you were saying that in terms of the new social media platforms, they become yeah. an enabler and exactly. not a sailor competitor yeah. because you're taking it outside the digital space into the Fit in the store yeah. environment as well. So maybe let me just take a step back. A traditional media campaign would be, why don't you take some generics and some power spots on my radio station or my television station? Where we do a nice ad. Yeah. Now what I'm saying is, I use radio or television as a loud hailer. Okay. Tell my consumers there's some exciting stuff. Go and check this website out. Okay. I get them onto the digital site, and I give them something for free to participate. Okay. Next step. Is I give them rewards that they need to go and redeem in the store. And I get the objective of the retailer feed through the store. And that's how we do campaigns. In the past, it was a little bit of a prayer and a hope. Interesting. Interesting. And, and would you say that's, that side of things is growing dramatically? Are we going to see a lot more activity in that space? I, I think so. And, and it's about, and it's about again using stuff that Entice the consumer. So uh, you remember I made use of this term snackable content. Mm, mm. A consumer has got so many options out there. So it's the way you engage with a consumer through content that, that engages him and want him to be part of this community mm. of, of, of content that you get to generate. It is about content. Um, if you, if you just go back to those pillars that I talked about, the first one is mobile. And in that third pillar, the third pillar for me is content. It is about the ability of, of brands today to build content that consumers want to engage with. Okay. Now, if I look at making personal for myself, if I look at my, my Facebook feed, for example, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there, even from different brands and yeah. different people trying to, and it's all marked sponsored content, et cetera. Mm. Are we not going to get to a point where it, it, people start to resist and push back because there'll be just so much coming at us, um, in those environments? How do, you know, how do you, how do you leverage it without getting into an environment where it's just now, you know, people start to ignore it and it's, it's just content? So, so there's lots of stats around ad blockers around the world where people actually start switching things off. Mm. So the sponsored content on Facebook, I actually switch off. Okay. Because it, it clutters my, it clutters my social media. It's not something that I want to engage with on social media. Yes. And that's why this, um, some, some symbiosis between traditional content and digital is so important. Okay. I read, um, I, I, I'm making a, um, a presentation tomorrow at the marketing and Darby and at Wanderers. And at that, I'm talking about the connected consumer. Now, here's an interesting stat for you. Millennials that everybody talks, that I don't see as the only connected consumer, but millennials that everybody talk about mm -hmm. actually don't mind radio advertising as an example. Okay. They, they don't find it intrusive uh, okay. on a study that was done. Okay. Okay. Here's the interesting thing. 
60 or 70 percent, between 60 and 70 percent of people that hear something on radio, they follow up within 24 hours by going to look for it online. Interesting. So, so by driving just digital marketing or digital advertising, you actually have got a a chance of irritating consumers, and that's when consumers starting using ad blockers. Ad blockers. Yeah. When you combine it with traditional media, the ROI is much better because then it's seen as non-intrusive. I then still have the choice to go and look for that thing online. Uh, and I, I think see. this combination of traditional and digital media and combination of traditional and social media is where brands need to think about. But then it needs to be – you've got one chance. Yes. You've it's, got you one still, chance. You still have one chance. One chance. The content that people then go and engage and go and look for needs to be content that captures their imagination. Because if the content is not good content, you've lost them. Completely. Yeah. And now let's talk a little bit um, about your – Movements into the to the rest of our, of our continent. You mentioned Ghana is an area yes. that you grow in the business. Um, is it still very regional, country specific in mm. terms of radio and media? Yeah, it's very it's very uh, re- regional. Um, I mean, uh, the Ghanaian market is actually overtraded. Okay, there's 240 radio stations in Ghana for a population of just over 20 million. 240 yeah. radio stations, so it's, um, and all traditional radio. Traditional radio. Um, so what we've started doing with the radio stations that we represent there, um, we've started focusing very heavily on uh, digital and social media to engage okay. with consumers. Um, but it is about having uh, having uh, having that uh, um, that consumer engagement that drives a. Um, a value proposition to the advertisers. Okay. And, and that's what we help them with. But it's, uh, it's a very, very cluttered market. It's, uh, but I mean, Ghana is a, is a good place to start, nice place to do business in. Mm. Um, uh, there's a lot of the FMCG retail companies that's out there. Um, uh, it's becoming more sophisticated. Okay. Um, there's now starting to get market data available. Uh, but I mean, we need to broaden our, um, the channels that we represent there to provide a one-stop shop to advertisers. And that's where we, where we're going, going towards. Yeah. But, but now this question around the, the digital players, you know, like, I mean, you know, Cliff Central being a, a digital radio station yeah. is accessible anywhere. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe I'm trying to tap into your thoughts around how those will perform or what, what would be the differentiator that the digital world would bring relative to a traditional radio because I can understand language issues, you mm-hmm. know, so there might be some, some native languages, et cetera, that are spoken, but is there still, I mean, are you seeing that that space is growing? You see, for me, for me, media is about two things. It is media first uh, is about creating a, um, a community of like-minded consumers okay. or content uh, content consumers. Yes. Because people listen to a radio or a television station because they like the content they get there and they feel it's similar consumers that, that engage on, on that. Like-minded platform. people. Like-minded people. Yes. Uh, so, so I think media, whether you a traditional radio station or a digital radio station, that needs to be where you drive uh, the way you consistently drive your engagement with consumers and consistently drive your your consumer growth. Yes. The second thing for me is about the content and the uh, in the television space they talk about um, content that travels. Okay. So 
um, if you if you do uh, a program like Generations, yes. so Generations have had some risky stuff on television yeah. in the past. Generations will never work in Kenya. But the reason why Generations will never work in Kenya, it's a very religious, very conservative um, uh, consumer out there. Okay. So they don't like risky television stuff. Okay. So uh, whether it's overly sexual content or um, uh, or uh, you know, mainly around mainly around sexual content. Okay. Now, and I and I think that for me, coming back to Cliff Central as an example. I'm wondering whether the Cliff Central will get a community of like-minded consumers than what they serve here in South Africa. Okay. Um, and whether they have content that will be relevant for the local Ghanaians. Okay. Because you listen to content on radio, whether it's traditional or digital, because you want to hear what's going on in your in your immediate area or in your country or in your continent. Okay. And I think that's the barrier for content that travels. Okay. I hear. So this notion that content needs to travel is relevant. Unless, of course, you frame yourself around a very specific community. Uh, very and specific. you want to serve that community and, and you're quite content. Uh, so, so a great example is uh, gospel content. Gospel content travels easily. West Africa, South Africa, takes away to TV as an example, Dumisa One Gospel, and... Uh, uh, actually, I've got a lot of content from international churches on there. So whether it's from Brazil, um, uh, etc., there's massive churches there. Church, yes. uh, gospel content travels as an example because it's, a, again, a community of like-minded. It's an, and it's an established community exactly. from that perspective. Yeah. Okay. So, then I want to just maybe shift gear a little bit um, and talk about um, – Media in terms of, I guess, some of the news we've heard around fake news um, and what's really a trending topic and, you know, discussions around the influence or not that Facebook might have had with the U.S. elections. Yeah. Um, we know BBM was quite uh, central to the discussions of what happened in Egypt and in Cairo yes. a few years back. Um, is this a topic that, that is gaining uh, more relevance within the media space around What's real, what's not, and because you know now we're in an era where it's not journalists that are editing news; it's really user-generated content yes. that finds its way. What's happening in your industry around this? I, I think brands are very nervous. Okay. Um, I don't know whether you saw the article that was published, uh, the, the announcement that came out about a month ago, where um, the chief marketing, global chief marketing officer of Procter and Gamble basically decided to pull all advertising off digital platforms. No, I didn't see that. And, and there was two reasons behind it. They were worried that their brands are starting to get connected or uh, associated with fake news. Okay. The second thing is at that stage, there was this whole who are in the industry that um, uh, I don't, you know, you understand the concept around bots that yes. there was actually more bots than real people on both Google and on Facebook. And when people did the investigation around it, it looks like there was four bots for every one real person that was counted on on platforms impressions like Impressions or um, views or whatever. So wow. 80% of the impressions were bots. Now, just… Sorry, I just, I just want to latch on that because that's I don't think that's something that people… So, so basically, we're saying that there are accounts that are set up by robots yeah. that function… Or mimic people's behavior, but yes. it's not actual people. Correct. And or what would be the incentive for someone to do that? Just for malice or, or uh, what? The incentive would be, so I, when you go and sell internet 
our digital advertising. Okay. You can sell it on the number of impressions. Yes. That your site pulls, the number of page views, etc. So if you inflate it four times, you look like you're a massive site. You've got mm. lots of lots of views, but uh, you actually you're actually inflating inflating the reality. So just think of if your eyes own a radio station, we go to Unilever, we say, we've got 5 million listeners. Pay us because you, yes. you for the reach. Yes. And in fact, I, I, uh, I've got 4 million fake listeners and I actually got only 1 million listeners. I see. So Unilever will come to you and me and they'll say, give us back our money. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm actually surprised that nobody has come and asked Facebook or Google for their money back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then there's this study that says that there's a proliferation of bots, yeah. right? So, so what's happened is some of the agencies, um, I was actually with, um, uh, some of the group M guys, Mediacom, et cetera. Yes. They have now brought out a decree to say that if you can't prove on your website that it's a real user that actually does a view or a click through, et cetera, we won't use your websites anymore. So there's now guys are doing massive investments in technology deployed to prove that it's real people that's either on their websites or, or doing the impressions or the views, et cetera, et cetera. So, but it just shows you how quickly something can, can get out of control because people are chasing a number to prove that they are the biggest sites out there. Yes, yes. And so now, um, around the, the topic of then fake news related to obviously fake people or yeah. fake users, but, yeah. but really the topic around what's real, what's not, and, and what we're consuming yeah. on these, pla- on these platforms, both digital and of course, even, uh, radio, I guess, and TV yeah. to a certain extent. So, so I think the same, the same thing will start to happen where brands will say, if you can't control the the news uh, or the the um, the re- the the realness around the news that you have on your site mm. or the content that you have on your site, I can't associate my brand with it. Mm. So I think I think fake news is actually creating a problem for sites that is big proponents of of user generated content that links advertising to it. Okay. Cause as soon as you link advertising to it, you, you need to have an accountability. Yes. Okay. So then, so, so I think this whole thing is going to shake out over time, but brands will not, uh, so want to be associated with sites that's known for fake news or sites that, uh, that fake news comes out in the end. Mm, so something that's going to really, I guess, have, to have more focus around controlling and, it and managing it. But, but just think about it. Uh, Facebook, I, I'm, I'm not hammering Facebook. Let's use any other site. Um, um, a site, today's internet sites are reliant on advertising revenue. Okay. That's how they make their money. Yes. Okay. So 80% of as advertising revenue, there might be other sponsorships. So sponsorship, again, advertising revenue paid for content. Mm. There might be some e-commerce play. So that is other generated money. But 80% of these sites make their money through advertising. So if they can't guarantee a brand that there's not going to be fake news that damages the brand that's either sponsorship or sponsoring of advertising, I think they've got trouble brewing in their backyard and their core revenue streams. Mm. And data privacy or information privacy, I mean, you deal with consumers, so yeah. more and more we're worried about what are they doing with my information. You know, I mean, you, I, I guess if I ask the question differently, as an advertiser, you want to know more about me. Right, and as a consumer, I don't necessarily want to tell you everything about me. Yeah, where do you find the healthy balance? Look, I, I think 
I think the basics, if you go and look at the, at the legislation in South Africa around poppy, the basics is that you need to give a consumer the ability to opt in. Okay. Okay. I, I think some of these big players have taken it too far. Uh, I've opted in, but I don't really know what I've opted in. How many people do you speak to on a daily basis that says, I have uh, emailed somebody at Cliff Central. The next moment, I get uh, a Facebook recommendation that I should connect to this person. Hmm. So how did, how, did, how did that happen? Facebook checked what email I've sent, and now I want to connect you on Facebook to this person. Yeah, That's intrusive. That's intrusive. And I think that's taking it a step too far. Mm, mm. So, so I, I think. And I mean, not, not Facebook, but whatever yes. email, bulk email, yes. I mean, whatever it could have been. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think brands, if you again, again, take the big global brands, um, I'll, I'll use Unilever as an example because I work a lot with them. I mean, Unilever really takes the higher ground. They, they, um, Try not to be intrusive, but in in same instance, they want to try and get a, gather as much information about about the consumers that they need to need to um, uh, take their brands to or engage their brands with. Mm. Uh, so I think it's a very fine line, and and currently that fine line is very grey. It is because I mean we talk about this age of the consumer, hyper personalization, all of these things. I mean what that means is that you need to gather much more data about me as a person and and I maybe will never answer the question fully but but I I wonder is you know is this something to be left in the hands of the of the platforms and the advertisers you know sometimes it becomes tricky when government gets too involved well mm. you see you see a consumer can actually a consumer can actually decide to opt out so if you don't want to see any of these um Advertisement anymore mm. You put in an ad blocker That's mm. very simple mm. uh, And it's your right to put in an ad blocker uh, But sometimes I actually I'm actually keen to To see what happens with brands That I research out there So, yes. so planning a trip to Europe or looking for a hotel Maybe there's something that pops up That's cheaper or better for And it's me. nice And it actually and helps nice. you and, yeah. it helps, and it helps you In that instance That's not intrusive because it comes up in a banner ad or a or a or a or an ad on the website, but as soon as it becomes doing things like looking at what emails you sent and then and then engaging you on a different level, that's where I think it it gets close to stepping over the line. Absolutely, I want to ask you a quick question. I read an article that uh, Coca Cola, the chief marketing officer, you might have seen the same article. He he retired or or, or was retired yeah. after many years as the CMO. And they've actually um, taken away the CMO role, and they've now got a chief growth officer. Okay. Um, and that's the new terminology they're using. And, and I guess the thinking is that the return on marketing was not uh, translating. You know, I think Coca-Cola's revenues dropped by a, a billion dollars or more yeah. um, year and year. And so they felt that, you know, marketing, as, as they were executing it then, was not having the composite um, return. I'm asking myself the question around media and I mean, is that transformation happening in the media space to enable marketing to become this growth engine within organizations? Uh, so, so we've actually, we've just gone through an interesting exercise in our business where we looked at how do we productize things? So okay. say for example, and, and this whole thing that we brought Vodacom on, on board has actually triggered this. So I said to the guys in our business, 
so how do we actually integrate Vodacom in terms of the in terms of the package that we take to the market or the yes. way we we um, position our brands? And we started down a productization journey, and we've turned turned the tables or the table on its head. Where we said in the past we'll we'll create a product and we'll go and push it in the market. We've gone from the other side. We said what's the market objectives? Okay. So typical market objectives might be I want to do customer retention. I want to do customer acquisition. I want to do brand awareness. I want to do product awareness. Maybe it's a product positioning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These we've come up uh, and one of them is actually CSI or good news stories. Okay. So we've come up with nine in working with our sister research company called KLA. We've come in, come up with nine market objectives and we now designing our product set to address market objectives. Now, if you go and disseminate this marketing market objectives into levers, seven of the nine market objectives talks about Growth, revenue growth. Okay. Okay. And it comes back to addressing revenue growth in a, in a, uh, in a corporate environment. So I, so, so to answer your question, I, I think the fact Coca Cola can call it what it wants, but, but it is about growth. Marketing should drive business growth or should drive, um, um, uh, Consumer expansion or share of wallet expansion. Yes. If it's a customer acquisition acquisition strategy, and and I think they've actually get the nail on the head by thinking about what's the objectives that they want to drive out of marketing. So so I don't know whether this is going to create now a new a new trend in yeah. terms of what marketing should do. Yeah. But but I I actually think if you don't look at it at the market or objectives when you start down a campaign, and the outcome that you want to drive, you're on the wrong path as a marketer. And do you believe the the, the digital world is is better equipped to support that, or or is it just an evolution that media would would have always adapted? No, I I think it's I think it's the combination of the combination of things. I I still think there's a there's a massive opportunity for traditional media, but okay. it's how you combine. Um, Traditional and digital media to to extend reach curves, as an example, in yeah. terms of consumers, or to uh, extend the the consumer base that you would have touched uh, in a traditional media a traditional media environment. So, if you think about the example earlier of how I how I um, talked about getting to in, feed through the store in a retailer. Yes. So, just think about the following. So, now I run a traditional media campaign on one of the radio stations. 1.5 million listeners. I use the radio station's loud hailer. I do some digital with it. But then I go to Vodacom and I say, uh, we're targeting women between 20, 24 and 35. Vodacom, how many of them do you have? All right. Out of our 37 million consumers that we have uh, on mobile, mobile lines, of them, 9 million. Okay. I then augment my campaign with digital and bulk SMS. And whatever else I want to do on the Vodacom platform. Suddenly, I touch 10 million consumers uh, and I extend my reach curve beyond just the traditional media. Ah. And for me, that's the combination of traditional together with digital as a call to action together with mobile to extend and amplify what you're trying to do. 
is where is where uh, marketing engagement and campaign should go to. Okay, I get it. I get it fully. So, I mean, yes, it's been a it's been a wonderful <laughs> conversation, really engaging. Um, before we get to wrap up, I want to tackle three subjects with you. Yes. Okay. The first one, and I normally end with this one, but I want to start with it because I think it's it's relevant right now. You know, this era, and you come from technology, we're hearing more about bots, robotics, um, artificial intelligence, um, and it seems like more and more the space for the human being is shrinking, okay, to see him on the surface. Mm. And that will naturally have an impact on consumer patterns yeah. going forward. Where do you see that going? You know what? If you go and if you go and do a little bit of research, um, one of the most sought after jobs today is a job called a data scientist. Yes, in fact, I've had an, a couple of conversations on that. Okay. Yeah, a data scientist didn't exist in two thousand four. Okay, it didn't exist. There wasn't a job like that. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting um, video that I watched not long ago on YouTube that talks about kids in school. And I've got two daughters in school. Today are getting educated for jobs that don't exist yet. So I think that this this thing that started with the Industrial Revolution yes. and our data, the, I mean, there's more data that got generated in the last two years worldwide than everything before that. Yep. Okay. So, so it creates new opportunities. It creates opportunity for new things and innovation. I think there's mundane jobs that's going to disappear. Okay. But it's about, so, so what do we do with this data? How do we, how do we engage in different business opportunities? How do we engage different with consumers, etc.? So, so people that's willing to embrace this change, that's willing to open themselves up for new opportunities. There will always be opportunities knocking around the next corner. We will do other things as human beings 10 years from now than what we do today. Absolutely. And so on that note, then, your definition of disruption. So I, I, will, I will talk about my definition of disruption in the in the media industry okay my de- definition from for uh, of disruption in the media industry is to provide a platform where advertisers can engage with like-minded consumers through the right content and and it might sound like traditional media, okay. but it also sounds like new media. It sounds like digital. It sounds like mobile engagement. Okay. So it's about understanding what content you need to create to develop this community of like-minded individuals that brands want to engage with. That's what disruption is about. And and I guess what technology has done is given people more power to place themselves with like-minded people. Exactly. So by being able to create, whether it's a Facebook group or... Uh, exactly. So people now have, I guess, more control or the more better ability to position themselves uh, yeah. with like-minded people. You know what? As a media player, people always ask, so, so what do you do as a media player? I actually connect brands with consumers that they want to engage with. Now, now, if I can use technology to do that in a better way yeah. and give them access to a broader like-minded set of consumers... Then I actually do my job. Fantastic. And last, but absolutely not least, your vision for South Africa and then for the continent. Broadly, your vision. Mm. You know, I, I'll go back to the comment that I made earlier. 
I, I was mesmerized when I saw this this latest study by We Are Social, where um, for the first time ever, as I said, there's more mobile connections in Africa. That, or the third, Africa's got the third most mobile connections in the world. There's more people connected to the internet in Africa than in Western Europe or in America. I want to see how Africans use this new wave of connectedness yeah. to leapfrog the world out there. And, and, I, and we've seen it again and again in our country as well as in the cross Africa. I'll take, I'll, t- I'll just give you one example. In 1994, 1995, mobile phone came out in South Africa. We didn't have 15 years of GSM one. No. We started on GSM two. Because we didn't have to have that legacy. Yeah. So everything we do um, is about uh, we streets ahead of of Europe because we don't have this legacy of broadband. We are mobile. So the next era in terms of um, tech belongs to Africa and Asia. That's where innovation is going to be created. And we must leverage that connectedness too. We, we must. Werner, on that note, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you, Werner, the thank MD you very much. of MediaMark. We wish you all the best in your endeavors. I know you're looking to expand into other locations to grow um, with your brands. You've mentioned a few of them today, which is fantastic. Thank you to our sponsors, T-Systems, for making the platform available once again. Uh, to follow up on the story and to get more information on our podcasts, you can go to www.t-systems.co.za. Thank you very much. Up next is the good stuff. Have a wonderful day. Cliffcentral.com.